Hello, this is David Hornick from August Capital. And this is Howard Hartenbaum, also from August Capital, with our special guest today, Trip Jones from August Capital as well. Oh my goodness, what a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> Did we have another guest we were expecting today we could find him? We just had, yeah, we just had Trip fill in, like, must Cla- have been Clavier. Clavier thought the traffic was too bad. Yeah, from, from downtown Palo Alto. <laughs> it's pretty bad. <laughs> Trip, how long have you been here now? Uh... I joined, I accepted an offer from August Capital almost exactly five years ago. I think it was really? March 28th, 2011. Are you a millennial? Uh, depending on what definition I am. I was born in the 80s, but early 80s. <laughs> All right. Are you, I refer, to, I refer to you as our young guy, but are you in fact young? Uh, not anymore. Oh, uh, that's a bummer. I have gray facial hair and our associate is more than 10 years younger than me. Yeah, but he's like 12, so that's that can't be the measure. 24. <laughs> Amy's 24 now? He's 24. just turned 25. All right. Well, that's we need to get a new associate. If anyone's listening who's, you know, like 20 or 19. He needs to be 30 years younger than David Hornick. That's yeah. Unfortunately, I'm going to solve that over time. I was We're chat- looking for a young guy who's 40. I was chatting with Amy the other day. I said, Abe, we, we need to find another guy, you know, like your age or 30. And he goes, well, why? And I said, because in 10 years, I'll be 60. <laughs> <laughs> and he went, oh, okay, I get that. <laughs> yeah, well, we all get older. That's just how it goes, Howard. Millennial thing is kind of interesting. You know, everybody says millennials think differently. They act differently. They... I don't think it's all that different. Like when you hear what they what they say, it sounds like what it was when I was a millennial. <laughs> when they yeah, I don't know what they called they called it whippersnapper back then, Howard. No, you guys are you guys Gen X or are you too old for that? I'm Gen X. Are we? If you're Gen X, I'm Gen X. Yeah, because we're the same age. Do you remember back in like the mid '90s when they had a pretty similar kind of hoopla over the Gen Xers and they're so weird and they don't you know behave normally? It's pretty similar. Yeah, I mean, basically. of course, I was like in I was like in sixth grade back then. But yeah. wait a second, you were born in the '80s, but you're a millennial. Like, how does that happen? Like, I would uh, think a millennial would be like born millennials. near the millennium. It's coming coming of age at the millennium. You know, oh. we. I actually have a, I have an idea for our uh, new associate because my son Julian's roommate Raul listens to VentureCast, and he'll say like, "Hey, Julian, I was listening to your father," and Julian always says, "Why in the world?" Are you? But if if Raul's listening, we might as well just hire him. So if you're listening, shoot us your resume. <laughs> yeah, Raul, if you're listening, you have four hours to get here for your interview. Yeah, right. We're waiting. Yeah. Any or, second. Or if you're under thirty and listening, we're handing out associate positions. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna almost say we're pretty safe. Or if you're listening. If you're actually listening to VentureCast, <laughs> we will hire you because... This could backfire. I, I doubt it will. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I can't believe it, Howard. He's a guest for two seconds and he rips on our show. I am one of your six listeners. <laughs> really? Well, do you, you listen to the show? Yes. Well, I listen to them all in a row at one time. You binge You binge. I binge. It was actually super interesting and it was helpful. I did this like two years ago. Um, and haven't listened since. Uh, and it was fun to go. I actually, start at the beginning and went backwards, and it was just it was like a, a, a interesting continuum of listening where the venture business was over the course of I don't know ten years, 
however long you've been doing it. I just talked to someone else who did that, who was saying, like... It's super interesting. Because you have an hour episode, you listen to it, and then you're like, all right, listen to the next one. If you have some a commute or a runner or whatever, you can get through a lot of history, right? And it, it, it's funny because you're, you're debating things that at the time were just definitely not clear that we now look back on... And it's just like so stupidly obvious. You mean like smartphones? No, it's like yeah, it's like <laughs> this iPhone, this iPhone thing. Like, is this going to be a big idea? Like, I don't know. It seems pretty cool, but like, are people really going to like walk around with these? things? I think on VentureCast, I I I talked about spotting one at a at a softball game. Steve Jobs was with his daughter at a softball game, and they they hadn't announced it yet, and he was using it. And I sent my little kid over to like I said, go check it out. He's <laughs> he's using an iPhone, and he and he wandered over, and because he was a little kid, nobody worried about it and that little kid's in college now <laughs> and the iPhone is basically you know rules the world so what do you mean it's still not clear yeah it's unclear <laughs> it's unclear if this smartphone thing's gonna work what parts of VentureCast did you like like structurally so that we can do more of those oh I think anytime Clavier was here that was those were, those were the highlights <laughs> oh, that's it we have to have guests so twice no 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 I think it's uh, I think it has a very there's, there's a lot of uh Anthropolithic value is that that is that a word like anthropology? Yeah, right? value to it of being able to go back and I, I loved listening to them in hindsight. It is kind of funny. So we we talked about talking about we've talked about talking about before before we started recording. So well, let's discuss the fact that in Q one of two thousand sixteen, the venture business raised seventeen billion dollars. Now what that means is venture firms went to their investors called limited partners and got the commitment of seventeen billion dollars of new money to flow into their funds. That's so as you say, like from an anthropology standpoint, if we were to look back at VentureCast, because it's been going on for about 10 years and with me talking to various random people or talking to myself, um, we've gone through three different cycles. You know, we had the crash in 2008. We have had the up cycles. Um, well, this is a hell of an up cycle, right? I mean, I think it might be. It might be a kind of a lagging indicator, almost, in a certain totally. way, where, you know, just like consumers pull down as much credit when they're about to go bankrupt, you know, you know, it makes sense to pull down as much venture dollars. You mean right before we go bankrupt? Is that what Before you go bankrupt, before, you know, before interesting things, you know, die off for a while, at least exits. Um, and then, you know, you can at least, you know, these big mega funds can sit on pretty interesting management fees for right out of Well, and they're, it's like... Funds have been getting sneaking up and whatever else. Like, Andreessen's first fund was what a couple hundred million, three hundred million, and then they started figuring out, oh, we want to put a lot of money to work, and so apparently they're raising another fund of a billion and a half right now, which will add to their billions that they're. But then there are other folks like Lightspeed Ventures, who's been around a long time. They've raised many, many funds in the hundreds of millions of dollars, and they just raised over a billion dollars, didn't they? I think like, they've done another big fund before. Well, I have think they? they go up and down. 1.2, yeah. and it was split between a 700 early stage kind of traditional venture fund and 500 of a op opportunity fund. And then Peter Thiel raised a yeah, one billion. Yeah, $1.3 billion announced this morning. Oh, that's 1. nothing 3. for him, though. That, but no, he hasn't. Uh, like, not his not money. His venture fund. Like, <laughs> not, not, he hasn't raised a venture fund of that scale. Right? So it's just lots of people are definitely, as you say, they're bulking up. Like, it's it's sort of like uh, getting fat for winter or something. You know, uh, it's like. <laughs> people have decided that winter has come. 
Uh-oh. Well, I just pulled up Wikipedia on yeah. Lightspeed Venture Partners, founded in 2000, and they just raised their 10th fund at a billion dollars. So they've raised wow. 10 funds in 15 years. Every 1.6 years. Jeez. Wow. That's a lot. Uh, I don't even think there's a Wikipedia page on August Capital. There is, there is. It's like from it's from basically when August Capital was founded in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was the last time it was updated. Shouldn't we update it? Like someone, someone should update it. Whoever's listening, <laughs> while you're at it, you might want to, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. This is all they have. August Capital is a venture capital firm created by Dave Marquardt and John Johnson in 1995. It focuses on information technology and is based in Menlo Park, California. Partner David Hornick was on the Midas list in 2012. <laughs> I wonder and who put yes, that in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder who put that Are in there. Are you suggesting... Yeah, David Hornick's mother, who's listening, also put that in there. <laughs> Betsy Hornick asked Jerry Hornick, her husband, to add David Hornick partner on the Midas list. My mother got all pissed off at me the other day because she was looking for something, and I said, well, just have Dad search such and such. She's like, you don't think I'm competent to search the web? You know, which was a fair call-out. But on the other hand... My father, all he does is search the web. Like, it was really just a nod to my father's hobby, which is searching the web. Like, Let's go back to the $17 billion in Q1. So if you if that gets raised every quarter, right? Yes. That's $68 billion raised this year. And therefore, for those venture firms, on average, as you say, to return just the money that they took in... If their average holding is 10%, they have to have exits equaling $680 billion. So just to be clear, to break that, even. Yeah, to break even. So basically that so when we go out and invest in a company out of our fund, we have a we have a $450 million fund. And when we go invest in new companies, we say, hey, you know, company X that we're excited about, we would like to invest $10 million and we'll buy 15% of your company. And then over time it gets diluted by new option shares to to the employees and new money sold to other companies, etc. And so we probably, you know, you could easily end up with ten percent of the company when the if and when it gets liquid, get goes public or gets sold. And so basically, the message is for those for that sixty eight billion dollars that just will come into the industry this year. There needs to be companies that are funded that are worth $680 billion. And just to put that in perspective, that's the equivalent of how many? One Apple? A $20 billion outcome has essentially never happened. It's happened on three occasions in the history of venture capital. Oh, now four with WhatsApp. It happened with Facebook. It happened with Google. It happened with... uh, I don't uh, with a WhatsApp. It happened with like that's it. Anything else? Alibaba, if you can count yeah. Alibaba, oh, right? Yeah. yeah. It basically never happens, and so we need you. We need to produce, <laughs> right? You need to thirty of those. Thirty. Yeah. Twenty billion dollar outcomes, and by the way, that's for that year, which means that we have to produce. 30 of them a year because next year another 68 billion dollars could be raised. That doesn't stri- let's So open. either either it's broken or we don't understand it. Right. Trip, you're better at math than we are. No, I think it's, I think it's broken. I, I'm actually been quiet trying to find how much money was raised in two, 1999 and 2000 to see if it was at all comparable. No, it's quite a bit less. 
It was still the most ever. So 105 billion was invested in the year 2000, which is oh really staggering, staggering to me. Like just staggering to me. So we never we didn't get to quite the stupidity that we got last time. Yeah, that's amazing. That's um, insane. Insane. So again, 105 billion, which means that. <laughs> so you had to get to a trillion dollars in outcomes, right? Yeah. Or. One, to break even. Trillion ish dollars. Keep in mind, place. the whole stock market's only worth, what, 14 trillion? So you had to get to one fourteenth of the, of whole the value of the stock market to make back the amount of money invested in 2000. Holy crap, that's just so <laughs> stupid. <laughs> I just yeah, have a sense. Yeah, but my investments are really good. Well, this is the irony, right? This is the irony, which is at the end of the day, there are a small number of firms who actually will make a bunch of money. Like, you know. Always have, always will. Yeah. And that's why, in the end, there are a bunch of investors who want to get into the whatever they think are the top 10 or top 20 firms because those firms will actually, despite the fact that the industry will likely lose money, they will make money. We at August Capital managed to convince our LPs <laughs> repeatedly, this is, we have August 7, that we will make them money, and historically that has been true. Let's, you know, knock them. <laughs> you know. You mumbled there for a second, you kind of... <laughs> because it's a scary thought. Scary for them and scary for us, because we got to produce, and we know it's a small number of hits that will drive it. So let's talk about as it relates to this whole unicorn concept, where I was on a panel a few months ago with three other venture capitalists and somebody asked a question like does it make sense to invest in unicorns and i started to say hell no on average <laughs> to, to invest in a company that is already, already a unicorn, a unicorn. Like at a billion dollars or higher valuation and another venture capitalist who is you know a smart guy but said something that i thought was a bit ridiculous was his claim was if you took all 142 existing unicorn valued private companies and you put money into every single one of them as they crossed a billion dollars then all you had to do was have one become worth 142 billion to then break even. <laughs> to which I kept my mouth shut thinking, you go ahead and do that. Yeah, go find that one because by the way, that's never happened no, in the history he was of arguing, capital. He was arguing he could invest in all of them and it made sense because one would be worth 142 billion. Yes, again. If you held your Facebook stock, if you invested in it early, you know, at a billion dollars and then you held it for some number of months after the IPO, I don't know when it hit 142. It went, it went public at 100 billion. It then dropped to 60 billion. Then it had to climb back to 100 billion. Then it had to. So you had to have the fortitude to go. I'm, I'm sticking to it. I've made 60x. I'm going to stick to it. Yeah. The fortitude and the LP agreement. Because, yeah, yeah. I mean, right. that's the, the right thing to do that. That folks probably don't understand is that once co you know companies are public and a lockoff has come off, we're you know it's our it's our job to return that capital back to our LPs. That's certainly the August position is if we have the ability to give you your money back, then we will. And that's in the form of stock. If we get stock, it's in the you form mean, of you cash. Mean, you mean profit? Profits back, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Here it all. Have it all back. No, if we make you, yeah, if we make you money, company gets public. So, you know, in stark contrast to that craziness, was you know we could eat, we could list a bunch of we we had. Was it in 14, 2014, we had two unicorn outcomes, right? We had... That's, uh, wait, wait, that's the key word is outcomes. 
most people were just talking about unicorn valued companies as opposed to exits. Yeah, like unrealized gain is also known as not gain. I don't know why it's called, we should, it should be called something else, like unrealized snane. Because it's not gain, it's got to have a better term. Unrealized value, or, you know. Yeah, exactly. Why is Gains sound gain? like you can spend them. You can't spend unrealized gain. You cannot get a mortgage on unrealized gain. Well, you can't buy I, a car I, I, SVB on might. unrealized gain. I bet some bank will lend you again. <laughs> well, they did that, again, they did that in the late 90s. And that was a real problem, right? They did that. In fact, people like assumed that their unrealized gain was valuable. They ended up borrowing against it. They ended up having to pay taxes on it, and then they ended up getting screwed. I mean, it's just a unrealized gain is not gain. But we, in two different funds, had companies that were one went public and one was sold, both for a billion dollars or more. And in that instance resulted in returning capital of over a quarter billion dollars to our investors. In one instance, well, quite a bit more than a quarter billion dollars, right? Well, each. Each. So those were by the way, those are called good deals. Yeah, that's a good that's a good deal. Mind you, we'd invested it you know, tens of millions at most in those companies and made hundreds of millions. And in our funds, which are $300 million, $400 million funds, they in essence returned all of the capital in those funds in a single deal, as opposed to a billion, had that been a billion three fund, we would have needed three more of those unicorn outcomes to even get to break even. We gotta find a word for unicorn outcome and attribute it to David, so if anybody maybe has a the, good idea of that word. Maybe the VentureCast audience yeah, can crowdsource it. Yeah, if yeah. you make up yeah. the word, we will let you come on VentureCast. And we will pretend that we made it up. <laughs> <laughs> That's called the yeah, the way it works. It, uh, what was the, Howard had Howard's coined a number of these things. I don't know why you're the illiquid the illiquidity premium. That That's my, my favorite. favorite. The illiquidity <laughs> premium, which is when a company is more valuable because it is not liquid, because it is unrealized gain, than if you actually had to make it liquid. And because investors, without having all the data, they have to put their money to work someplace, so they bid up the value of the company beyond what it really is because they're willing to pay the extra money to get in. It's so dumb. That's so. So I've I've come to the conclusion, and I'm not exactly a math person. Like you know, you guys are better at math than I am. Were you an econ major? Nope. Oh, I thought you were. All right. Well, we'll just I just I just look like an econ we'll just major. Pretend you totally was a football major. Boring. How, Howard at least went to MIT, so we don't even have to question his math. I was a mechanical part. engineer. All right. Well, you you had to use math and mechanical engineering. But I just feel like nobody is bothering to form the spreadsheet. This is not even a hard spreadsheet. It's like, take a number, multiply it by a percentage, you know, times X. How big must X be to return the initial number? Does anyone do this when they think of investing in these funds? Well, this is the conversation we just had. We had met a company today with really, really interesting founders in the company. And they have an interesting product, they've been growing quickly, and they're even profitable at the moment, and they're raising a Series A financing. And we're having the discussion that it is not clear, even if they are wildly successful, that they will ever be a big enough company to justify a venture bet. It is clearly a great investment, but that doesn't make it a great venture scale investment. And my argument was, I. I the guys are so interesting, maybe they'll figure it out. But I agree, totally unclear that the market space is big enough here to justify it. 
That's a, I mean, it's hard. It's, I don't know. So, Trip, when you got so, here, right, you had been working in a, in private equity. Uh, yeah, growth equity. Right, growth equity. So you needed a giant market. Like, you don't need it. You didn't need it. No, not really, because growth equity is a little bit different, where you, you we have much, you know, we, I had, you know. The, the oh, my God, yes, PTSD. I know, He's still I calling it we. We, uh, <laughs> you, <laughs> you have you don't need the gigantic outcomes to move the needle. You know, you just need to not lose money. You need to make a little bit, you know, you need to double your money in every investment or three X your money or, you know, four, you know, make four times your money in every investment. So you can, you know, if you, as long as you invest in a company at a $80 million valuation, the market could only be 500 million, but if you sell the company for 240 million, you did just fine. So, so, then maybe it was still a shock to your system when you got here, because right then you came here. It was like, okay, that just you know, is that really big? We just had this conversation. This was actually I just told this story about when I came to August Capital because I had been forget you had been an investor, right, Howard? You'd been an investor when you guys got to August. At least you had invested money. When I got to August, I had been an attorney. I had represented companies. I understood the mechanics of investment, but I hadn't made the investment. And I was looking at this company that was team that everybody liked, technology that was very smart. It was a very clever company. And our partner, John, said to me, so who buys this company? Or do you think this gets big enough that it goes public? And to your point, again, about there are unicorns, they're fake unicorns and they're real unicorns. Unrealized gain is not relevant because the only thing our, we do is try and turn an invested amount of money into more money that we can distribute back to our LPs, and that is actual realized gain. So in this company, I looked down and I said, I don't know, I don't think there is anyone who buys it, or there is no big company, right? You need, if you are gonna make hundreds of millions of dollars, it means that someone has to be able to acquire the company for a billion dollars, which means that they need to be tens of billions of dollars, which in this particular space, which was the nonprofit space, there was no such company that was worth billions of dollars. And so my partners were sort of like, our, our partners were like, so I don't see it, right? And it just was a wake up call, like, holy cow, that's the measure is I have to figure out how I can invest in a company and when it works, it gets liquid, it goes public or gets bought and we make a bunch of money. A lot of investors will make a comment that I wanna make five times my money or 10 times my money and I think of it very differently, which is I want to invest in a company and put in three, five, ten, fifteen million dollars over time and get back two hundred and fifty million. We all want <laughs> No, no, that's the threshold I'm thinking about in the process. I'm not thinking if I put in three, will we get back ten times our money and make thirty million, because that doesn't matter. So so you two definitely think like Series A investors and only like the Series A investors, which I appreciate and I've learned a ton from. But you'd better start thinking that way. Yeah, yeah young man. Just not to before and it's very I'll take a vote yeah <laughs> I, uh, before I you know before a astute venture cast listener starts picking on our math skills I think your math on the you know one I agree with you 68 billion dollars of annualized you know venture capital fundraising is silly but if you if you know I think the, the math is a little overinflated because you're not taking count the you know the same company with the B investors and the C investors and the D investors all in it that's to, you know by the time those companies exit like I don't know let's you know what percentage of Uber is owned by their investors now but get you, but you're no so I get to win in math this is super <laughs> exciting 
I'll is, be the judge of this. Yeah, okay. Let Mr. <laughs> Math judge it. This is why yeah. MIT has served you well. Where is your brass rat, by the way, Howard? Would you like to see it? Do you have it? I do have it. It's what, you at leave home. it in your office? No, I've never, I never wear it, but I do have one, and I know where it is. Would you like me to bring it in one day? I want you to wear it, Howard. Because you don't I believe think, I actually I went there. I think you went there. I think you like, you're one of these guys, it's like in uh, Goodwill Hunting, I don't where think... you are sweeping the floors, <laughs> writing shit on the blackboards, and you pretended that you went there. But he probably stayed paid tuition, too. <laughs> <laughs> He's that moral. But anyway, back to it, back to it. Your point is that when Uber goes goes public, it could well be that 40% of it is owned by investors. And therefore, instead of 10% over Uber, it's 40%. That's my point. That is not relevant. And here's why. Because I'm talking about per fund, right? So any given fund raises... Let's say there are $68 billion funds, yep. right? And they each invest in a set of companies. And so four of those $68 billion funds invest in Uber, and they each own 10%. Yep. In aggregate, they, they own 40%. But the reality is that each one of them owns 10%. And therefore, for each one of those funds, if it gets public at whatever number, they only get a 10% return. So it's just about the aggregate number, which is in aggregate, there's $68 billion that has to turn into to $680 to billion. I to And I totally agree with that point. It was more my more point. The point was, we we're talking about the you know the the market value that needs you know the market cap that needs to be created that gets uh, that gets double, triple, quadruple counted. It doesn't though, Trip, because you're missing the point that once it gets <laughs> once it gets past the first twenty or thirty percent of the company that then gets diluted, the rest of it is not venture firms investing. It's a completely different class of investment. Well, well it's also it's getting lumped in on this these, some of these fundraisers. The, the, the yeah. bigger the bigger problem is that you know you're not buying ten percent, right? So. To his credit, Rob Hayes bought a gigantic chunk of Uber in the first round. Shout out to Rob Hayes. Rob yes. Hayes. Rob Hayes. And to his credit, <laughs> our pal upstairs, Bill Gurley, bought a big chunk of the company in the Series A. By the way, Bill, Bill, Gurley. Berg, Bill Gurley did not live upstairs anymore. Oh, but he did. Yes. At a, our pal who formerly was upstairs <laughs> and now lives in the mission. <laughs> uh, and then, again, to his credit, our pal Shervin Pishvar, while still at Menlo, he's no longer there. Uh, bought probably more than 10% of the company, maybe 10%. What happens when a VC is at a fund, like Shervin was at Menlo, and he invests in the companies on the board and then he leaves that fund like Menlo? Well, in that instance, he stayed on the board because... Representing Menlo. No, I don't think so. I think he stayed on the board representing... Friend of Travis. Friend of Travis. <laughs> friend of Garrett and Travis, who is a good guy who people like and wants to stay on the board, right? Because if it was not Shervin, then Menlo would have said, no, 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 he doesn't represent us. Or Uber would have said, no, 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 you can't represent Menlo. You're not even at Menlo anymore. It's a big risk, right? If you have people who leave these firms, then... What happens? Where do they go? It happens every once in a while, and it's kind of a weird situation. And sometimes the if the company is succeeding wildly, it doesn't really matter. But if the company is struggling, which happens to many companies along the way, and the person who is on your board from a VC firm leaves that VC firm, and then he gets off the board, it's sort of like the VC firm isn't really close to you anymore. This is, this is a big we problem. We call it an orphan sometimes, an yeah. orphaned... Uh, well, here's the other thing, right? There are firms 
that invest you know that investing companies put lots of money on it in these companies and they either don't get a board seat or they put someone you know one one of the partners doesn't go on the board but someone else goes on the board for them and it's always a bit challenging because then the the firm is sort of one person removed from the company and as long as it's going well then it's all good you get the updates like oh yeah keep up the good work and if it's going particularly well then that venture firm before it goes public or before it's a big outcome, we'll put their person back on it to, you know, to make the final lap and wave the victory flag and claim uh, credit. <laughs> but if it's not going well, it's really hard to connect with the firm and say, hey, we're doing a down round financing or we need a bridge and who's who's involved and how are we going to make that choice? And yeah, I think really the hard, way the, I think the way the firms handle it tells you a lot about the firm. I'm kind of curious, and I don't know the answer. What happened when you joined August from Draper Associates, Howard? You know, to your company. Um, I was at Draper Richards. Sorry, minor detail. It uh, doesn't really matter. Some Draper. Yeah, fund. different yeah. entity. Same Bill Draper. Um, I stayed on. <laughs> Same Bill Draper, different back channel. <laughs> no Draper. Well, sort of. <laughs> I stayed on a couple of boards for a few years until they did a couple rounds more funding and then got off. But you also were an early stage investor, where that was the easier normal, to do. That was yeah. the normal course. Same yeah. thing with Vivek when Vivek became a venture partner at August before he became a partner. He was sitting on a couple or three boards, which. In that instance, he didn't get off of them. He, they just came, the deals came to fruition. The companies got sold. Right? Those deals did very well. And um, and then he rolled off of them. And then he decided he actually liked investing, stuck around, became a GP at August. And now we can't get rid of him. Like, we've been trying, and he's still here. It's been like a decade, right? 10, 14 yeah. years yeah. of Vivek. Holy well, wait, yeah. He's out this week. We can get rid of him. Call him. <laughs> oh, I think we have a vote right here. We just got to get, we'll call, in, <laughs> call in Jeff. <laughs> we actually do have the votes. Right <laughs> we got a quorum. It's all good. Yeah, you thought you were not going away on any more vacations. I got an email from one of our uh, our former partners, uh, Andy Rappaport, who is coming to 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 uh, to the office because he's coming for the lunch to celebrate the the retirement of Trips now assistant Diane, who has been at the firm for how long? Thirty three years. Thirty-three. I, w- I was one year old <laughs> when she joined August Capital. One year. Who finds that more trouble, you or Diane? You know what we need we though. Pitch- she is starting her little baby blanket business, and she needs somebody to build a website for her. We would love to find somebody who wants to build Hello, Diane a website. Hey, yeah. Raul, what are you up to? <laughs> Hornick will pay for it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, just kidding. We will send you a nice handmade baby blanket. Yeah, should you need that. Yeah, no, Diane's... Been, so think about that for a second. Diane's been here 33 years. Now, mind you, August Capital has been around for 26 years. Mm, 21. 21? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, sorry, excuse me, since since 85. I'm here for the math. Yeah, since 95, since <laughs> yeah. 95, yeah. We will have trip in the future, only he will say nothing except to correct our math. Uh, so 21 years of August Capital, which means she got here when the predecessor fund, TVI, Technology Venture Investors, which was an amazing fund, and she's, so she's seen she's seen a lot of craziness. She, she saw them hire me, and I'm sure she was like, what? That's the end of August. <laughs> call it, call it. And then she saw them hire a trip and she was like, well, that's better. <laughs> that makes more sense. Howard, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. 33 years is amazing. 
Uh, I do think I think we often talk to companies and firms or whatever, and you do you, it matters. Like you measure an environment by what is the attrition, right? I just had a board meeting, and the company reported twenty eight percent turnover, annual turnover in team. So what? Well, they had right? three people. Twenty eight percent is pretty troubling. How many people? Maybe as a blanket statement, yes. Uh, if they were, well, you're good. You're yeah. good. I, I mean, you know, how so, much was? Customer support. So it turns out that a big chunk of it was customer support. We asked exactly the same thing. What is the number for engineering? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You can lose, you know, everybody else, but if you're losing 28% of your engineering team a year, that's a whole lot of wasted samples to get people trained and whatever else. I think the, the, the attrition rate at August is like, and you know, it's 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 like zero percent. We one person leaves August every seven years or something. Maybe. So I, you know, I've been here as I stated. Well, Andy day. retired. Yeah. Recently. And before then, as a GP. It's just sort of that no one as a GP. Mike Maples was here as a. He wasn't a GP. As a. Something like a an investor, awesome we were, person. Awesome, Andrew yeah. Anchor was he a GP? He was awesome. Anchor Anchor was a GP. He left in two thousand and joined one of our portfolio whatever. companies. He actually joined a company and then it became a portfolio. Oh. Company. <laughs> <laughs> he also then became the chairman of the board of Ebates and continued to work on that, and that was very helpful. Uh, yeah, so we you know we've had a stunningly small number of people leave. Which is e- either means that this is a great place to work, or we're really bad at getting rid of terrible people. You know, it's had a lot of turnover lately. Is, <laughs> is YC? In Just in terms turnover, of the team I feel like managing, they've been adding everyone. Like, a few years ago, has anyone left? Or Paul I think it's isn't just, there just, anymore, is he? I well, the core, him. the core team. Paul's not. Paul's not. Paul is actually retired. Is Jessica there? Jessica is there. Uh, yeah. She is still involved. And then the two. There were four founders. And so three of the four are gone, although we just looked it up. When did we say that it started? In, uh, March of 2005. Yeah, so 2005. So, okay, th- it was started in a, it, with a kind of interesting set of people. The, Paul and Jessica were sort of the core team that drove it forward after 2010. Yeah. Or and by the way, the goal for all of us should be retired. You know, retirement should be something we That's aspire to goal? at some you point. Want to just retire at some point. Holy crap! I don't know. So basically, if if we do particularly well, we can count on you leaving. Is that? <laughs> the, I just want to understand. Yeah, but you'll be like seventy-five by then. <laughs> uh, wow, that is not a whole lot of confidence in our ability to do particularly well. Wait, we're going to revisit this after the discussion today. Let's get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we'll, we'll, we'll No, meaning well, I see not just the core people, but they had a lot of people helping them build the business over time, come in and go out. And there's a bunch of folks like, you know... Uh, uh, you know, the people. <laughs> was it Taj Hagar? What was it? Oh, yeah, the early. There were some early. A bunch of good young guys there working, but they didn't matriculate. They just sort of came and go, you know. But it's a new. It's I think it's a new model. Truthfully, since Sam came on, it's you know he's thinking of it differently. He's trying to build a a much bigger scale. He's bringing on a lot of lot of partners. He's bringing on part time partners. He's bringing on, you know, a, a buddy of mine named Tim Brady. Who was the number three guy at Yahoo? Was he was actually in business school when Jerry and Dave started Yahoo, and they said, "Hey, come help us write a business plan." Wrote the business plan. That was an amazing run. He left there and started working in in and around the um, the education space. He started 
uh, Magin 12K, or I'm sorry, Quake K12, which was this great accelerator for for education startups. He just joined as a partner, and they basically pulled the two things together because Sam's saying, like, look, let's, you're a great guy. You've been associated with the YC world for a long time. Why shouldn't we just have you as part of it, right? But the byproduct of that is they just had a demo day and a half. It was 100 123. 123 startups. <laughs> YC 123. How many startups do you think we've funded in the history of August Capital? I would... Well, More we think than it's that, kind of right? 10 or 12 a year. Let's call no, it no, if you just year. think on per fund basis, if it's 20-ish, 25 per fund times 123. Six, six invested. <laughs> I bet it's close. I bet it's like 140. See, I'm so glad we have you here to do the, yeah. the arithmetic. <laughs> <laughs> so in the lifetime of the firm, 21 years, we've done 140-ish investments. YC presented 123 in investments a day. in, in two they days. Do, they do that twice a year now? You can't do it in a day, right? Five minutes times, you know, what the, you'd spend what's, the whole what's day that doing equal it. Five yeah, right? Times Come on, Trent. It'd be 10 hours. 10, 10 hours and 15 Whoa, minutes. Oh, my God. Yeah. I didn't think Princeton was that good in math. <laughs> <laughs> I might just be bullshitting. Oh. I wouldn't know. I went to Stanford. <laughs> <laughs> I was a computer music major. What do I know from math? Um, but here's the other thing that's super interesting. So YC just had a big outcome, right? A unicorn exit. Yes, a real, a real one. The real McCoy. Yeah, <laughs> an edible unicorn. Is that their first one in ten years? First unicorn. Good for first, them. First realized unicorn was what's the company? Uh, Cruise. Cruise. So, so they've been around since five. So that's you know eleven years, and they had and the, the the biggest exit they've had prior to that, so far as I know, was Heroku. Which was sold to Salesforce for sh something shy of a couple hundred million dollars. Great outcome. Remember that these guys put in a smattering of dollars and they get seven percent of your company. So almost anything is great. But a billion dollars means that if they still owned seven, let's call it six percent of the company and had raised one round of financing, they made sixty million dollars on. And at least no one really knows yeah, exactly. No, no, oh, why not? No something in it. the vicinity of sixty million dollars, right? Pretty good outcome. Great outcome. We're investing works. like fifteen thousand yeah. dollars, which is what they invested. So I was, I was just saying, like, oh my god, it's been ten years, and there've been two outcomes, and or, you know, some some other smaller ones. Trip was sort of like the, you know, well, uh, you know, I, I will prove you wrong with a compliment to you, and it, <laughs> and you know, your best outcome ever, Splunk, uh, you know, was returned, you know, almost a billion billion dollars to. You know, or closer to you know half a billion, to half August. a billion to August Capital alone, and how long did that take you? Uh, eight years, seven or eight years. No, for to public investment. All right, investment yeah, right. to nine, full liquidity. Nine, nine years, nine years, okay. something like that. I mean, okay. and well, and then Ebates, which was also a was also a, yeah. a realized unicorn. A that was fourteen a years. Real unicorn. We got We need some term. Yeah, fourteen years. So on average, investment. Your to, best investments take twelve years to. Oh, shut up, Trev. So, we, YC <laughs> could be coming into like a golden age of exits. Who knows? That, well, totally true. And and keep in mind, they have Airbnb. They have uh, they have WePay, which we're an investor in and have been for going on you know almost. 10 years they have you know they have Dropbox they have a set of these companies that are that have the capacity uh, uh, optimizely yeah. also great business like they're just I'm not 
being I'm tr- trust me Paul Jessica I'm not no I think I think I think it, you know the lesson that we should take away is it that venture investing is very hard and it takes a long long time and whenever my wife asks me like hey did you make any good investments this year I say I don't know I hope so I invested in good people but I'll let you know in like five to seven years then I'll have an idea yeah very easy when our newborn daughter is in fifth grade, <laughs> yeah. I'll have an idea, <laughs> and which is totally fair. In fact, uh, I was I was just catching up with an old friend at the the lobby conference, this conference that we run, and um, and my son Julian played at the con- play, he played a song at the conference. He's a singer, songwriter guy, and um, and this friend was laughing because she was she, she and I had worked together on a deal and Julian came to the office for that deal he was four (laughs) and here he was you know a junior in college and uh and a nearly fully formed human it was very like time passes and it and and stuff the stuff that works gets more valuable which is amazing but but it takes a long time it really is it's a it's a I acknowledge it's hard you know what we're going to see next? We're going to see because Cruise was automotive related and GM bought it and then Uber is so exciting and GM put a bunch of money in there. We're going to start seeing Lyft, Lyft. automotive focus. Sorry, yeah. Automotive focused venture funds. Good Lord. Momentarily, we're going to read about some venture fund focused purely on automotive technology. Well, we still have, we have our friends at RPM Ventures. That's coming out of which, for which uh, company? No, it, I mean it's RPM, not. Mark Weiser and Adam Boyden, and they do have a focus on and, and Mark is from Detroit. Or, yeah, but I just I'm just saying new funds are going to be formed now. They're doesn't one say, of the doesn't one of the big auto manufacturers have a fund? I forget. I mean, GM has money. I, mean, I think everyone has a fund these days. So oh, so I was just giving this talk, and I was talking about that one of the potential going back to YC. One of the potential signs of a bubble is that there are an increasingly large number of accelerator programs. And so you have YC, and it's kind of a general purpose one, right? And then you have others like it uh, that are that are general. And then you have these sort of more specific ones. So you have the Disney accelerator that's focused with Disney. Then I don't know if you know this, but the, the, uh, the um, NFL has an incubator. So there's an NFL incubator program, which is kind of fun. Uh, and so you can go incubate things. And the Cubs have an incubator. So if you want to be more specific, <laughs> want to be focused just on a particular baseball team. I say like, it's just a matter of time What's until the mandate there? Curry. Like, until, yeah. you know, Steph Curry incubator, right? Don't I'd rather s- invest in Steph Curry incubator than the Cubs incubator. But... <laughs> That's just me. I just see it coming. The Steph Curry incubator. His daughter will like come by and cheer up people. So also on, something I invested. Which is awesome. R- Riley Curry is the Beyonce of toddlers. She- and for, as, <laughs> as a firm that's not real. By the way, Howard, I'd just like to point out before you get to a real point that. That's my whole job here. Trip is never. <laughs> I think everybody acknowledges that. Trip. Who is a visitor has just injected athletic sports information <laughs> into the show, and so he is never invited back. <laughs> and I was just going to raise the point that you invested in a sports-related technology company. Is that public information yet, yeah, or not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I love that one. 
No, a company called Second Spectrum, and it is kind of ironic that, uh, in fact, I was at, I was at dinner the other night, and it was the night before the Second Spectrum board meeting, and uh, the Warriors game was on TV while we were eating dinner, and I was looking up at it, and my wife was like, are you serious? Like, you don't watch sports. I can't believe you're watching this. And I said to her, I have to. It's important because I have the Second Spectrum board meeting tomorrow, and she was like, you're so full of shit. I- Second Spectrum, even though not that many people know about it, is the company I talk about the most. Nice. About from August Capital over Avant or Fastly or Ebates or Zulily <laughs> or Turo or whatever. Just because it's, I think it's so interesting. So, you know, all of the companies other than Second Spectrum that Trip just mentioned either have <laughs> or ha- have in the past or currently have tens of millions of dollars in revenue. <laughs> and then there's Second Spectrum, which is taking... Imagine taking the video feeds from athletic uh, competitions. Right now, the NBA is the principal focus. Turning, taking those, consuming them, turning them into moving dots, using machine learning, and then determining everything that is happening on the court. So you can say, show me every time a particular player does something that is... That is I want to hear an example. What, what kind of move? <laughs> something that's statistically <laughs> unlikely to happen. So a pick for, and roll. For example, that, that is a real thing. Imagine you have one, Hornick. Imagine Steph Curry <laughs> were shooting a, a for a thing, <laughs> and it was unlikely yeah. to occur. Shooting for a double or a, a tri- hat trick. Triple for a triple thing. Yeah. Okay. For, and from like half the field. Yeah. A and three point potty <laughs> shot <Yeah>. from. <laughs> No, but it could be anything. The thing that's amazing, right? So in basketball or in any sport, there are a very specific set of statistics that we follow, right? So yes, what is your free throw percentage? What is your, you know, what what is your percentage, you know, driving to the hoop or shooting a three-point or whatever? Assist to turnovers. Yeah, exactly. All these things. These are like the standard things. And sure, Second Spectrum tracks those. They can, they, the, the machine can instantaneously report those statistics for you. Piece of cake. What? What are not tracked in the same way that is amazing is what is the likelihood that someone scores under pressure in any one of these things? What is the likelihood someone scores while being guarded by a disproportionately good uh, defender in any of these cases? The, the machine knows when someone takes a shot from a particular point in the, on, on the court, what is the statistical likelihood that the rebound will land somewhere else in the court? And it can tell you who is the most likely to get to that spot on the court, even if they don't make the rebound? So who is the person who has the best rebound sense, not just the person who's making the most rebounds? It's just, so it's, and, and that's just the beginning. I'm just beginning, Trip. How do you think, that was pretty good, right? I think it's pretty good. It's like, pretty uh, it's like you've created a machine learning version of Shane Battier. Exactly. And yeah, you don't know what I'm talking Shane. about, but Who's, you should. Is that the baseball think, guy? Or is so, that the... No, I think he's actually an advisor to Second Spectrum. But, <laughs> Sorry, but, Shane. <laughs> but he's, he's known for a, a, an incredibly smart uh, basketball sense. Uh, you know, Shane Battier, Draymond Green from the Warriors. Just like ah, gotcha. both the combination of... Uh, I've had enough sports. <laughs> <laughs> I've got it exactly where I want it. So, you know, the next... The, 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 How about that Bitcoin? That? <laughs> Anyway, I'm glad that I'm glad that uh, I'm glad. So here's the other thing. And by the way, if you are listening and you fall in this category, uh, we're looking to hire at Second Spectrum. The one of the incredible competitive advantages when you're a Second Spectrum is that if someone actually likes sports or understands sports, is good at sports, and is also a great engineer or whatever, 
They really want to work at Second Spectrum. Don't they have like the entire MIT basketball team? We have <laughs> something like five or six former uh, captains of the MIT basketball team, both <laughs> men's and women's. <laughs> and it turns out that these people are actually pretty good basketball players because, you know, they were playing real ball, whatever. They're better engineers. Yeah. <laughs> no offense, guys. I'm sure you're astonishing at both, and actually that's what's amazing. So what we haven't done yet is getting to get any of the Stanford basketball team, the UNC team. The, like We're just looking for amazing, smart people who also love sports. And next up is, uh, is European football, right? That, and it's going to be amazing, and amazing. we really need to find like the smart, smart people who are professional you know, football players who soccer for you Americans, you uh, you know, we we, crass, Amer- we Americans, David, we crass Americans, <laughs> uh, you know, the same kind of thing. And so, anyway, super interesting. Howard's board. What else do you have? Any guys want to talk to, or you anymore. think it's like over? You feel like we've destroyed venture capital? <laughs> we've destroyed it today with too much sports. Like you name people, I never heard of. <laughs> You've ruined it for Howard. It's like you talking about old entrepreneurs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but those guys, Steve Jobs, you've heard of him. Yeah, Michael Jordan, Bill Gates. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't talk about Steve Jobs' advisor. Howard, I have to say, I think the trip's been pretty good here. I think that he uh, can have my role moving forward. (laughs) You know, we had that Carl Borg, our partner Eric Carl Borg, on here, and he was all CFOE on us, and so he should be psyched that trip's like we're ready to. We should get Amy in here, get some actual get some real some real thinking. All right, next time. Yeah, I don't think we had any real lessons today. Not that we oh are. God, we did really jam packed with real lessons. Yeah, there was. <laughs> <laughs> Just do whatever oh, David Howard. says. Oh, Howard! Don't 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 downplay the value of VentureCast. My job is to just get it back on track every now and then. Yeah, well, it's doing. It. You know what it is? It's the caffeine. I did have caffeine today, which is a rarity. I save it when I need it as a drug. And last night I got too little sleep and. And I went. I went and visited a friend over at Facebook, and he gave me a cup of coffee. And then it's been downhill ever since. <laughs> <laughs> so I apologize. All right. Well, this has been VentureCast. I just want to once again reiterate that Raúl, you have what four hours? Did we say to yep. get here for the interview? And uh, we look forward to. And, or actually, anyone, anyone. <laughs> We'll have to be hired. Asterisk, we're going to pay you in goldfish. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. He could be paid in goldfish. And socks. And socks. Stan socks. This has been VentureCast. I thank you for listening. I'm David Hornick from August Capital. And this is Howard Hardenbaum, also from August Capital. And Trip Jones, also from August Capital. Thanks for listening.